Getting ready to take on spring? Make your first move with the reliable performance and power of steel tools. From hedge trimmers and mowers to string trimmers and more, right now save $30 on the American-made steel FS56 RCE trimmer. Real steel. The FS56 RCE is made in America of U.S. and global materials. Offer valid through June 16, 2024. See participating retailer for details. Live from the 6th and Peabody studio and across the OutKick network, this is OutKick 360 with Jonathan Hutton, Chad Withrow, and Paul Kuharski. Just like that, the second hour is here. OutKick 360 underway. 6th and Peabody, our location from Nashville and across the OutKick network. Yeehaw Beer, Old Smoky Moonshine, and tons of football discussion. We've been recapping the college football weekend, big night in Knoxville, and more. NFL Week 6 discussion is coming up, and we continue the football discussion right now. Tyler Dunn joins us, um, and he's the founder of Go Long, a newsletter publication which is dedicated to long-form journalism across pro football. He's got his first book available now, The Blood and Guts, How Titans Save Football, and this is where he goes deep on interviews with the game's greats at the position. Tyler joins us now. Congrats on the first book and uh, congrats on the on the site. Hey, th- thanks so much, man. I appreciate it. It's, uh, it's an honor to be here with you guys. Big fan. You do a hell of a job. And God, I feel like your audience loves, loves real football. So this is a great conversation to have. Good no to doubt. see you, bud. What, uh, what drew you to the tight end? I, I know... Um, it's a very interesting position in that a guy's asked to, uh, to kind of mash a, a large defensive end and then behave like a ballerina wide receiver and kind of the confluence of those two things kind of takes us to both of the things we love about <laughs> football and takes an interesting kind of guy. It does. Absolutely. That's what kind of drew me to it is you have to do a little bit of everything. You, you can't be a one trick pony. You can't be with, you know, the linemen just beating each other's skulls and you can't be with the receivers, you know, being divas and working on your celebrations in the end zone. You have, you have to do it all. And I think what drew me to this topic is the assault on real football, right? It's we see it year to year, decade to decade, era to era. It, it softens in just about every way. But at the tight end position and to make it flag until you make it touch and you have to block, you have to tackle. Yeah, the tight end is, is is going to be football itself. It is football brought to life. And I think really from Mike Dickett all the way to George Kittle, you can see how the position really does preserve the, the, the sport we love. And um, it, I tell you what, the personalities alone made it worth it. I really just kind of traveled the country, uh, threw back some beers, threw back some drinks with them all. You know, Dickie even had a cigar right there at his golf course in Florida. So um, did, did really see from the 60s to when the tight end position was really founded by Mike Dicka to today with George Kittle keeping it alive. Um, I think I think the sport's in good hands, fellas. I really do. I'm so interested, Tyler, in your conversation with Mike Dicka. You know, Paul said you have to have that toughness to be able to run block mixed at times in today's game with the ability of a ballerina. No one would describe Ditka as a ballerina at any point, but he's probably a very underrated athlete for his time also. Uh, what did you find in, in researching Ditka as a player – and I'm sure your conversation with him was just terrific. It was, you know, physically, obviously he's, he's up there. I mean, like anybody 
in their eighties who played in that era and, you know, was clotheslined by Ray Nitschke. We got into all those old battles with the Packers. It's you're going to be hurt later in life. Uh, but his, his mind is still sharp. His memory. I mean, he can pull plays. He can pull moments from the first time he stepped off field and he was like asserting himself as that apex predator, you know, teammates and opponents alike. He, he, he was ticked off at one of his teammates for kind of being lazy gets right in his face as a rookie. Um, there's an, a guy in the opposition. If he was doing anything, he got right in his face. To answer your question, I think what really blew my mind with Mike Dicka, we don't really know this today. It kind of gets lost in time because he really is that Jerry West silhouette for the league. You know, he really embodies the NFL itself. He almost just disappeared into oblivion. When he got traded to the Philadelphia Eagles, uh, he was depressed. They won two games. He was sparring with the coach. He hated football. He hated life. He was out drinking in downtown Philly, waking up haze, not knowing where he was, how he got there. He was really lost. And it took a phone call from Tom Landry to really save his career and save his life. And then boom, he gets to Dallas. He's winning a Super Bowl. He's catching a touchdown in that Super Bowl, coaches the Bears, wins a Super Bowl, and he's on our TV sets from that day forward. So, I mean, that pivot point, I I think Tom Landry comes up a few times in the book. All these tight ends had that moment where Everything could have fallen apart. Tony Gonzalez, same thing. Rob Gronkowski in a lot of ways where they kind of did plow through it. They worked through it and kept the sport really progressing the right direction, that physical direction. Tyler Dunn, our guest, and uh, we're discussing the tight ends based on his new book, uh, Blood and Guts, How Tight Ends Save Football. I'm curious with the, the old school group and now the current group, the new school, which guy, as you're traveling the country, maybe you did some of them here at Tight End U, not sure, um, in Nashville in the offseason. Which guy do you feel like could transcend the different eras the best? Which guy's personality fits that group? Which guy's play fits the old school play? Man, that's a great question. I, I think that, you know, obviously Gronk stands out. I, I think he's the greatest ever. Kittle, uh, Ben Coates. A, a lot of these guys really could kind of transcend eras. But I'll throw Jeremy Shockey out there. Okay. And I, it's weird. He kind of gets uh, not forgotten. I think everybody in New York remembers Jeremy Shockey, especially uh, out at the bars on, on the weekends. They might remember Jeremy Shockey. But I think that at that time, the turn of the century, for him to really come into the league from the U where he's just he's just starting fights for the hell of it because that's what you wanted at the U. If there's a fight breaking out, he's usually in the eye of the storm, and that's how they really kept their edge to bring the U back of that era. Jim Fossil wanted that with the Giants. Day one, training camp, when, when he showed up and he broke, you know, his his holdout, he's brawling with Brandon Short. And we talked all about it at a bar in Miami Beach where Brandon Short wanted him to, you know, stand up, sing his fight song, you know, go through the rookie hazing, say his signing bonus. And Jeremy Shockey wasn't having any of it. All of a sudden, they're rolling around. They're beating each other up. Jim Fossil's like Jeff Van Gundy hanging onto their legs at the bottom of the pile. <laughs> <laughs> but here's the crazy thing. Like Fossil loved it. The players loved it. Short loved it. And he really did help bring an attitude to not just the Giants, but I think the whole NFL at a time where they, they it really needed it. They, they needed just that shot of adrenaline that Jeremy Shockey kind of provided, that linebacker mentality that, um, oh, my God, there, there's so many stories. We could spend an hour on Jeremy Shockey alone. But I think that, you know, even though, you know, he made four Pro Bowls, won a couple Super Bowls, but never was that Hall of Famer we kind of expected. His impact definitely left a mark. We're in a kid named Kelsey in Buffalo, New York, is writing him letters saying, I want to be you one day. 
Right. Mm-hmm. And then he was Jeremy Shockey. And then some, I think there was a lot of situations like that where he was needed at that time. I was on the verge of turning 12 when I had my defining tight end moment as a kid growing up, which was um, in Miami, the Kellen Winslow game, which, you know, you have those games when you're a kid that just stick with you for life. That's an all time classic game. Where does that fall maybe in, in your pantheon of tight end games? And what did that do for the, for the position to have a guy having to be carried off the field after he left, uh, to, to be cliche, left everything he had out there in, in such an epic game? That's a great point, Paul. I mean, that was really the night, the game that put the position on the national map. Granted, I was born in 87, so I'm not around. I'm researching it. I'm talking to players as much as I can about that game. But yeah, it it sounds almost like when you talk to players and I caught up with Dan Fouts, Wes Chandler, Hank Bauer, some players on the Dolphins as well. I mean, they reminisce about that night. Almost, you, you hate to throw around these analogies, but like it was a battlefield, like it was a war. Like how did we survive that night at the Orange Bowl with the humidity like it was, the heat how it was, just trading body blows, trading haymakers, and Kellen Winslow. All right, like even some of the Chargers and Dolphins players were saying, okay, so maybe it was a little theatrical, but it was real. Like this dude is laying it out on the line on you know, whether it's blocking a kick, whether it's catching a pass, whether it's blowing guys up as a blocker. There wasn't a player on the field bringing what Kellen Winslow was bringing that night. And it, it, it kind of took the tight end position and just shot it into another stratosphere because the nation's watching, everything's on the line, and you could just kind of feel the adrenaline and the passion and the blood and the sweat and the tears that was put into that game by Kellen Winslow. It was, it was palpable in a way. Like, I, I don't know if there was a game like that before. You know, everybody's watching football on TV and, you know, they're getting a sense for it, but it almost kind of was – theatrical in a good way. It was like watching a movie and you're learning about the tight end position. You're learning about Kellen Winslow in real time. Tyler Dunn is our guest. The name of the book, which is a terrific title, The Blood and Guts, How Tight Ends Save Football. I'm in Neyland Stadium over the weekend and one of the loudest moments of the game is when a six foot six, 340 pound defensive tackle slung Bryce Young, the quarterback, to the ground on the one sack of the game by, by Tennessee. Um, football fans like a little bit of violence. They don't want to see what happened to Tua, and they don't like watching that, but fans watching football want to see hits. They want to see their team get to the quarterback, and they want to see big hits all over the field. You were talking about football fans that like real football. The call on uh, with Grady Jarrett's not real football. The call on Chris Jones is not real football. You've talked to these guys, I'm sure, who would agree with that statement, Tyler, what do you think about that in this direction the game is going? And how does the NFL balance what real football fans want to see while also trying to keep people as safe as possible? (laughs) I couldn't agree with you more. I mean, that's why I wrote the book, took on this project, traveled the country, trying to find the soul of the sport itself, because I feel like the NFL is, is kind of lying to itself, right? To sell your product as safe. I get it. It's a business. You're trying to convince mom to let little Joey play Pop Warner football. Anytime there's a Tua tongue of Viola motionless on the turf, it's bad for business. It's bad for the product. I, I get all that. It's not, it's not callous, but football it has an element of risk. And all of these tight ends, all of the players that play in this league, they know that risk, especially now with concussion awareness where it's at. But even a lot of guys that didn't, 
they tell me Ben Coates, look, he's at his home. He's struggling to get around the house. He to drive. He doesn't want to go upstairs because it hurts so much. He laid it all out on the line through the 90s, hurting from head to toe. He would do it all over again because football does so much good. You know, it, it, it brings you out of a place where you were before. So I, I think that guys, knowing what they know, they can make an educated decision about it. So we just want honesty from the NFL. Just own your violence. Own the fact that there's an element of risk. And hey, if you want to take on that risk, you can. If not, there are other sports. So I feel like too often the NFL tries to have both worlds, right? They want to appeal to the the folks who, who love risk-taking and you know, want to jump out of airplanes and skydive and, you know, drive Jeeps and fight in the octagons. Yet they also try to appeal to what Twitter likes and the safe spaces and everybody who's offended by everything and the, the overall softening of America. They, they are reacting to that. They can't have it both ways. I feel like they're trying to find a middle ground that really doesn't exist. Just be honest with us, right? It's violent. That's okay. And that's why we watch. We watch because of the violence. These are gladiators. These are players in a profession that we can't wrap our minds around. They wake up in the morning, go to training camp, you know, knock each other's skulls in, and then they're they're in a cold tub hanging out talking about each other's families. You don't do that at the pharmacy. You don't do that at the <laughs> bank, at the, at the library. It's, it is different. It's a different world, and that's why we watch. So, hey, if, if you want to appeal to that one group, put the flags in, and let's see how many people watch. We watch because of the violence. I feel like you know, like anything, you know, when you know, right. If it's a cheap shot, you just kind of, you kind of know. I feel like we turned that point in the early two thousands where, yeah, we don't want people decapitating receivers, you know, on, on, on a 10 yard in route, obviously, but Grady Jarrett, I mean, that collision, Chris Jones, it's the overcorrection. Uh, yeah. It's, it's the overcorrection does kind of put the sport itself in peril, I think. And, and hopefully the backlash is so loud that the NFL doesn't keep it up. But you know what, fellas, what does have me worried is they know come Tuesday, we're putting in our waiver claims. We're plugging in our fantasy lineups. We're gambling on games and they'll just kind of keep chugging along. So that's what I, I hope the book does kind of drive home why it's important to have these tight ends who are preserving all this stuff that we've loved since the fifties and sixties. Most of the calls are that we're, we think are egregious are with the quarterbacks and I'll raise my hand. I don't like where, where we are on the roughing the passer. I also prefer the top 10 quarterbacks playing all season. So I, I like the fact that they're at least airing on the side of allowing me to watch good football. And even some of the best quarterbacks right now are not playing good football, but I know they're better than the backup option or the direct snap to the tailback, who by the way is not getting the same protection that, the quarterbacks are receiving or the tight ends uh, that you would be talking to for blood and guts. Uh, Tyler Dunn, our guest, the new book, the blood and guts, how tight ends save football. So you branched out on your own with go long, uh, your sub stack where you've got a uh, excellent podcast and uh, you write long form uh, features, which are uh, excellent stuff. Yours and some of the finer reporters around the league do them. People don't take to them necessarily the way they used to they, they don't like to read as much they don't invest as much time and your site is kind of like a magazine um so i'm wondering what the challenges of uh of producing a one man or you have some contributors i guess magazine is in in uh 2022 i'm somebody that's gone out on my own also but i'm giving people uh shorter 
more digestible stuff, and it's tied to a team, so I know who my audience is. Who's your audience? I think my audience is exactly the way you just put it, Paul. It's people who are willing to hit pause on on life, on their cell phones, and maybe learn something for 15, 20 minutes where we're all just kind of mindlessly lemmings, like just refreshing apps all of the time and looking at memes and looking at GIFs and that FOMO is real, right? We all have it. We don't want to miss anything. So we're refreshing Instagram and Twitter and Facebook. But I feel like there are a lot of people who still want to just hit pause on that and learn a little bit about a player. Um, maybe, maybe something they haven't heard before. Maybe there's a profile, there's a side to a player that, you know, they didn't, they didn't, they didn't catch on the broadcast. They didn't catch on, you know, a national site. I built up a lot of relationships around the league. So I love traveling the country, sitting down with these guys, and then every so often dropping, you know, an inner working story on, on what's really going on behind the scenes. Like, for example, the New York Giants, when everything was falling apart last year with Dave Gettleman, Joe Judge, the Mara family, um, had a lot of sources in their personnel department kind of describe exactly how abysmal and terrible it was to work there day to day, that they really did kind of need to fumigate the building in every possible way. Um, yeah, I think you kind of build those relationships up and just teach people something that maybe they didn't know. And honestly, I think that people still want to learn. I think that people still want to take their brains back in a sense uh, to know what's going on in this game where, I mean, we do have so much at the tip of our fingers. We can look up any statistic at any moment. But at the same time, we're kind of learning less and less. The NFL has become so corporate and such a just a monstrosity, a monolith of, of information. And they kind of put out their own information and the teams do and the control access that that independent Intel is tougher and tougher to, to dig up. So that's kind of what gets me up in the morning. It's just finding something out that people don't know. Encourage people to check out, go along his site and the book, the blood and guts, how tight ends save football. The two teams are closest with the Buffalo bills and the green Bay Packers seemingly going in different directions. How much do you buy the excellence of the bills how much uh, would you worry with Packer fans that maybe they are um, beginning to see the end of of uh, the Aaron Rodgers greatness era? Maybe because of what surrounds him more than him. You see, I, I get that, Paul. I do. I mean, they obviously this isn't uh, the wide receivers that were graced the cover of Sports Illustrated in 2011. You won't you you won't see them stop by and you know take that photo photo shoot at, uh, at Lambeau Field. But I think Aaron Rodgers deserves his share of blame. I mean, he said he needs to play a tick better. I'd say, you know, many, many ticks. He doesn't look like the same quarterback. Like like Drew Brees, Peyton Manning, like everybody but Tom Brady, he's just showing physical decline. Um, his athleticism isn't what it was. He missed throws yesterday. I mean, he had Aaron Jones wide open down the right sideline, missed him. Uh, the, the pick six easily could have been a pick six was only an incomplete because it was a bad enough throw where it went into the dirt just enough for Aaron Rodgers. He was bad. I mean, they lost because of him. And, and you don't say that often about the Green Bay Packers. And this is why at go long two years ago when he's holding the team hostage and they ended up kind of bending over for him and giving him carte blanche and really kind of making him the assistant GM in a lot of ways. I advocated for trading him, maximize your value. It sounds crazy. He's MVP. I get it. You want to clutch to these guys as long as you possibly can. But if Russell Wilson's getting you two firsts and two seconds, um, what in the hell does Aaron Rodgers get you? You drafted a quarterback in the first round. Then you don't have to pay him $150 million guaranteed. Then you don't have to put up with the drama. You can kind of build for the future. Instead, they're tied to him now. 
We'll see how it plays out. You know, I'm not going to completely say the season's lost because he's turned it around before, but Devontae Adams isn't walking through that door. The line has issues. The defense doesn't look as good as it was supposed to be. And now you're on the hook for 150 mil. If he walks away, you're still on the hook for a lot of money. How about the bills? Oh yeah. The bills. Yeah. Much rosier here in Buffalo for those, uh, for those bills. Uh, You know, what pops to me is Von Miller. This is a guy that, uh, you know, you look at his draft class and the players that were in that historic 2011 class, they're either washed up or out of the league stars. And here he is ending the Kansas city chiefs last three drives with pressures. Um, He still has it. I'm surprised. I mean, his agility is his game, right? And usually that goes, that, that, that agility, that athleticism. If you're a speed rusher, uh, he looks every bit as good as he ever did. I, I think that, that would, that's what give you, gives you hope that the Bills can finally get over that hump, win when it matters in January. They have that player who's going to get Patrick Mahomes or any quarterback off his spot with everything on the line. They, they, they haven't had that player the last few years. Tyler, congrats on the new book and the site. And uh, great stuff, man. We can't re- wait to finish it on this end. And uh, we're... Definitely telling people to go out and check it out uh, or, or certainly get it online. Hey, no, th- thank you, fellas. Really appreciate that, the opportunity. Great talking with you. Thanks, Tyler. Thanks. You can follow him at Ty Dunn. That's done with two N's and an E, D-U-N-N-E, on Twitter. Not and, the uh, traditional spell. That's right. And then check out, the, uh, check out the book, The Blood and Guts. He has a way of connecting, and we know several guys like this who uh, just connect with players um, and can get them to sit Well, down. he started naming off those personalities. I mean, I, I haven't thought about Jeremy Shockey in years. Me neither, yeah. but he was a personality. That's for yes. sure. Huge. Um, it's an interesting concept for a book. It's clever. Yeah. And that's what you have to do to write a book these days. Bills win the showdown against the Chiefs in another fun game. Also, the Giants continue to win as the Ravens continue to give up leads in games. We'll dive in there. Philadelphia continues their winning ways. We recap a crazy week six with plenty of upsets on the back end of some of these top games. That's next to now kick 360. Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The roast of Tom Brady, a Netflix live event happening May 5th. Hosted by Kevin Hart, the seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. One more game to go, week six, Chargers and Broncos. We'll preview this later and give you some of our picks for outkick.com slash bet. Can't get enough of the Broncos in primetime, boys. Yeah, that's one of the biggest surprises early in the season, just how bad they are. Uh, We knew the division was going to be tough. We didn't know the Broncos were going to be this awful. We didn't know toughness was going to mean like uh, (laughs) tough to watch. Tough piece of meat. (laughs) Tough to watch. other games yesterday, not difficult to watch at all. Chiefs-Bills was awesome. So was Giants-Ravens uh, and, and several other games throughout. The Cowboys making the comeback last night and then uh, seeing the way that Philadelphia was able to slam the door in the fourth quarter. It starts, though, with, uh, with Mahomes and, and Allen and the way that that game played out and seeing that the Bills got the defensive stop at the end on a bad throw, but knowing that 
it looked as though it was going to be the team that had the football last. And while Allen was able to close it out by kneeling it down, it was this go around the Bills defense getting the stop on Mahomes instead of what happened in the playoff game a year ago. And now you can kind of feel the momentum shift of power a bit where the Bills are ahead of the Chiefs. I won't go as far to say that all things go through either Kansas City or Buffalo, and not for Buffalo's sake, but for Kansas City's sake. Last year, it went through Arrowhead, and we saw what the Bengals did. And this year, we see the the Bills slow down the the Chiefs, and so did the, the Colts defensively and on special teams. I'm intrigued, though, of the gap between those two teams right now and the rest of the AFC, and which is just all muddy and you know, very gray right now on good play and bad play week to week. So muddy. And you mentioned it. I mean, there's just more combination of defense and not great offense going on, even in that game. I mean, I'm yeah. sure the over-under was way over what that turned out to be. What was it, 17-14, 17-13? Oh, the game? Yeah. 24-20 was the final. So for a long time when I was watching it, forgive me, again, I was in and out of games because I was with family. Um, but we're expecting those games. We go into a game like that expecting a score in the 30s, generally speaking, a Mahomes-Allen game. Yeah. And it ends up with defensive I, stands. When's the last time we were talking about defensive stands at the end of games like Buffalo-Kansas City? It's been a while. And some of it is good defense, uh, you know, there, Von Miller's making plays. But some of it around the league, like we're talking to Tyler Dunn there, is Aaron Rodgers' bad, bad offense. Yeah. Um, and, and we're seeing some bad offense out of some good offensive players lately. It feels weird. That, in conjunction with the muddiness you're talking about, this season feels kind of unsettling right now. So I'm going to say what I think is very obvious. The NFL has been really bad this year. So far this season. We've had some really good games. It has been not interesting to me. Um, the fact that you can have, with only 32 teams, back-to-back Thursday night games, of that low level of quality that we saw between Broncos and Colts and then Commanders and Bears is startling to me. I get that some of these games are throwaway in the preseason because they have to fulfill their Thursday night obligation. In the early season. But it cannot be that bad in consecutive weeks. I was very underwhelmed by that game yesterday. I was expecting a lot more. In a league where the rules are designed to help offense, there needs to be more offense in a game like that. And I think the Bills are a great team. And I'm with you, Hutton. It's hard for me to find Bills, Chiefs. I think Chiefs are good. That's game of the year. I think Bills so may be close game to of great. The year. And I look around the league and I'm thinking, who's really good? Well, the good teams are in the NFC. Which is not at um, all what we expected. Yeah, the AFC, I mean, no one's, no but even, one's great. But even of the teams with the good records in the NFC, outside of the Eagles, who I think have overachieved big time and have been close to great, I don't know who I'm really – I don't know that I think that I'm going to say the Giants are a great team, even though they have one loss so they're far this season. They're a great story because they're playing so far great over their story. head. Great story. Yeah, great but they're story, not a great but team. Of the teams we thought that could be great, led by great quarterbacks, Packers, Bucks. It's just a disappointing year in terms of the star power delivering. I'm very underwhelmed by the NFL all season. I think that's fair. Well, the the play though. So the right now, I'm trying to do the math. 22 of the 32 teams are three and three or below, and some of it it's weird is very 
very much due to very poor quarterback play. How many great teams did we have last year at this point? Well, uh, I mean, I think the, the Chiefs were, were slow starters. Baltimore was 8-3 and three before they uh, bowed out because – uh, Cardinals were big. Lamar Jackson year, got hurt. Undefeated. Cardinals were seven and zero. Packers were the number one seed by the end of the year, right? Yes. I consider but them a this great time team. last year. We're talking Mac Jones and and we're about to see the Patriots take off after a slow start, and the younger quarterback started to rise to the occasion. I said preseason. I felt like this was the year that Brady and Rodgers were going to take a not a back seat but a middle seat to some guys that are going to rise and take over. And now it's that's for the taking. After the quarterback play of what we're seeing with Allen and Mahomes, it's for the taking. We see we see a guy tonight on Monday Night Football playing for the Chargers and Justin Herbert that needs to grab the brass ring, so to speak, and go. Yeah, no, what you're saying about the middle, the muddy middling play right now certainly creates opportunity for a very exciting November December. Yeah. And you've got Dak Prescott, who is definitely coming back and yeah. been shouting this. There is no quarterback play or quarterback Rush controversy played his in Dallas. Way right out of any yeah. intrigue. But well, then there's the- Jalen Hurts, who they they've bought in. It, Miami is screwed based on Tua's injury. Um, they're a different team without him. They were fantastic with him, and we saw what he did to the Bills. We saw the great comeback against Baltimore. Uh, Lamar Jackson's great for three quarters and the last two weeks has thrown uh, really bad interceptions on in the final drives of the fourth quarter with a chance to win. But to Chad's point, but, uh, look, if you look at the best teams in the league, putting Philadelphia aside, just putting just Buffalo, by record. Buffalo five and one, we're buyers. Yeah. The next two, the only other five and one teams, the Giants, who I think we're impressed yeah. by what they're but doing. I, I don't think it's any different than last that year. Good. That's my question. And Minnesota five about Arizona and one. This time yeah. last year. Minnesota five and one. I'm not a believer in them at all. And so the next best teams are four and two. But what what I'm saying is over the now the stretch really begins where we will see a Joe Burrow or a Joe Burrow like storyline with the team that takes over one of these divisions where you've got three divisions right now where no one's above 500. I don't see a storyline play out where one of these guys doesn't become more of a talk of the league. Yeah, that, that's... Look, maybe it's, uh, maybe it's the Cowboys and they get Dak Prescott back. Of the quarterbacks, though, that we wanted to see step up, and one's because of injury that we haven't, and he was on his way to doing so, was Tua. Jalen Hurts is the guy. Jalen Hurts is in that Eagles offense now with A.J. Brown is the story across the league. I'm just saying even of that middle group, I agree more with what Tom Brady said when asked about all those teams that were 500. So what I see is a lot of bad football. I don't think it's because yeah. the league is so great. I think you get a lot of bad football teams. So I'm having a hard time circling one of the teams like like you're talking about with last year, Hutton, that someone's got to rise record-wise. But who am I picking to be that riser in the middle of that group that's all at 500 or right around that, there's not an obvious answer. Maybe it's Justin Herbert, and maybe they become a team that, in what was supposed to be a great AFC West and has not been great, maybe they step up and become a second playoff team in that division with the Chiefs. But there's been been more storylines of big-name disappointment this season that have, to me, has outshined the teams that are – pleasant surprises well, and it's muddied everything up to the point where I've just been 
I'm a big NFL fan. I've just been underwhelmed by the product so far this year. Again, in a league where the everything is designed to help offenses flourish. And we've seen some bad offense at times uh, this year. I agree, Hut, that somebody's going to emerge that, that is, you know, you wait for that team every year, and we're waiting for the team this year. But let's go a little deeper. We, we talked Eagles are undefeated. Buffalo, we're buying at 5-1. and one. Giants, Minnesota, the other 5-1s. and ones. You go to the 4-2s, and twos, there's only three of those. Chiefs, we know, are good. Jets at 4-2. and two. Dallas at 4-2. and two. I'm not buying either of those two either. And then you're to 3-3. Three and three. So... I think the story is we're waiting for the emergence. Yeah. You're saying no different than any other year, maybe. Well, just go back to last year. At this time last year, I just named off these teams that no one's predicting to do much of anything this year. And we're, I mean, records speak for themselves, of course, but you know, we, did, we didn't see the Rams truly take over until around the trade deadline. Yeah. And then the Bengals went on a run on the road where they, you know, they're not. They're not doing much to claim home field advantage, but they went on the road through the playoffs and made it all the way to the Super Bowl. I mean, I think the Giants might sustain it, but I think they'd be an early playoff exit just off inexperience. Well, then, I think the Jets, you know, are reliant. And I've said this time and time again on what Miami does. All right, two is back next week. Where do they go yeah. from from there? I don't believe in Dallas just because I think Philadelphia and the Giants will be a wrench. In, in Dallas, ultimately, when they start squaring off more more often. Um, and, you know, Minnesota doesn't doesn't do it for me. But I haven't seen much of them, to be honest. They've been very good. And um, so has Kirk Cousins. I, I, I think, you know, it's it, part of it is it's a quarterback-driven league. And we know and Kirk star Cousins quarterbacks top. drive the boat. And Aaron Rodgers and the Packers have been disappointing. And Tom Brady and the Bucks have been disappointing. And some of the top-name guys are just aren't in the mix. So. And the younger guys, Herbert got hurt. I mean, I'm, I'm becoming slowly. a big believer in Jalen Hurts in Philly, and I think that it could end up being the story of the year from what we've seen so far. But I'm still not buying the Giants. Trevor Lawrence. I hasn't think the taken Jets off. are going to come back down to the middle, and they're they're still probably a year away, even though they look really good now, right talent. now. It's just been a, it's been a tough go. But Jets young talents playing really well, and we haven't. It's not Zach Wilson's been okay. He's not coming back off the injury and setting the league on fire. I think that they're certainly a contender but for the running backs the, taken off. Oh, Brees Hall's been amazing, and so so is their uh, defensive performances with with Sauce Gardner for back to back weeks. Yeah, he's terrific. Uh, Bailey Zappi, the storyline in New England. You know, for all of the right, I mean, right. six weeks ago, we're mocking their decision of what they're doing offensively with coaching. No one's mentioned that over the last two weeks. Well, it's funny with what they've now, done now. They with look their stupid game for not starting Bailey's happy to start well, it's the funny. we talked about Cooper Rush you know we were joking around partly but you know about maybe you don't disrupt the apple cart before Dak Prescott is gone uh, comes back and there was some reasonable conversation about that now I mean do you I don't know you mess with Bailey Zappi for Mac Jones until kind of what you were saying until something goes wrong with Bailey Zappi because they've clearly found something there and their formula is working. The schedule, I think, has helped them out. You're playing Detroit and Cleveland, who are not defense is teams who are going to outcoach Belichick. Yeah, I mean, the by Patriots' defense has not allowed a rushing touchdown all year. Yeah. Here's so something the formula else that, is working. Do you mess with the quarterback in the meantime? Something else that really bothers me, and I cannot get out of my head after watching Bills Chiefs yesterday, is how is it that a league that has become so super sensitive to quarterbacks being injured and watching everything that happens around a quarterback? and calling those egregious calls we saw 
against Grady Jarrett and Chris Jones. How can they follow up the next week in the highest profile game of the regular season with a, a ref right there on top of oh, it yeah. and miss Chris Jones that blatantly trip. tripping Josh Allen? Twitter Josh Allen insane. immediately is getting up, doing the tripping motion on Chris Jones. Of all of the interest around the quarterback spot, how can you miss a clear 15-yard tripping penalty on Chris Jones in that moment. Crucial I have a real too. problem with that. And it's not something that can be reviewed, but my goodness, of all yeah. of the super sensitivity, and I'm with you, Hutton, when you say, I'd rather the starting quarterbacks play for my enjoyment of watching the league. I don't want to see them get injured. I also don't want to see a system where they're not playing football and they're at no risk during a game of getting hurt because I agree with Tyler Dunn. One of the reasons we respect and appreciate the sport is the risk involved because most of us wouldn't want to do that. So we watch because we know there is a risk of physical injury on every play. I was it's part I was, of the reason we watch, but I'm, I'm watching that thinking, how do you miss that call? What was the reaction to uh, Schefter's report about Mike Vrabel's email? Um, because it seems to me Mike Vrabel should have been like uh, lauded nationwide he hit reply all to a message that goes to all the coaches and the GMs about officiating that details, you know, officiating errors or, or stuff that's gone on during the week and said, hey, it's nice. Correct me if I'm wrong. Hey, it's nice that we take the time to review all this all the time. But how about we dedicate this time to getting some consistency on these things? Nothing he hasn't said, quite frankly, at the podium with those of us to cover the team on a daily basis regularly, and nothing that every fan in the league wouldn't want to hear. He was put off today when he was asked about it that somebody shared that because he said it's no different than us being in the meeting that we're in every year where a coach or a GM stands up and speaks, and people generally don't rush out and tell people that. So he was put off by, by somebody sharing it. But he's exactly right. I don't always put off. I mean, it, why hit reply off? You don't want people to see it. Well, he wanted those people to see it, well, but he didn't not, want it to go public well, necessarily I mean, because the officials get pissed. That's all. He didn't well, want to piss. Who cares? He's working with the officials. His thing is to try to work with them, not to piss them off, which most of them try. Well, to his do. thing in the email was to get them to be more consistent and not be bad. I mean, that, the, the point was missed in a swing and a miss. He's hitting reply all. Well, behind the scenes isn't working. Behind the scenes, the NFL's telling us that those penalties are down 51% year to year. That's missing the point. They should be down low, even more uh, than 50% or 51% based on how bad these calls were. Those shouldn't be flagged. That's the issue. It's not how many you're throwing. It's the ones are you throwing. Are they consistent crew to crew, game to game, quarter to quarter, Drive to drive. Big and the answer big is no. I, I think no, as, a, as a sporting society, the amount of care we give to officials' feelings, feelings, I especially agree. at the highest level. But for, I mean, for Mike Vrabel to be, you know, Matt, that, he's just like most people. They're so concerned with hurting an, an official's feelings. And we don't do that when we talk about coaches or players or it, fans even. Any other part of the game, we talk honestly about, we can share our honest opinions, we can tell you when something is blatantly off or wrong, but people among the league, it's as if you can't publicly speak out Arthur Smith, against awful officiating, and I don't understand it. Arthur, Arthur Smith answered every question he was asked after the Tampa Bay loss, except for the one where the, the penalty completely screwed them. 
And he had to stand there and be like, you know what, I, um, I'm just going to focus on what I can control. That's not acceptable. Well, so hitting reply all, hitting reply all and expecting no one else to read it isn't working. I think someone shared it because they agree with him. And the sentiment should be, no, NFL, you, you should work to improve the consistency instead of having a Bill Vinovich crew that doesn't throw any flags and looking at what we're seeing across the league at the very top with Sheffers and others. And it's no coincidence that the crews that are throwing the most penalties are screwing up more plays. Well, I'm sure you'd agree, though. If they agree with Vrabel, they should go ahead and put their name out there with Vrabel if they're going to put Vrabel's name out there. Yeah, but I mean, Vrabel, everybody should raise their hand and say it But publicly. Vrabel willing to hit reply all is acknowledging that, that he's leading the charge with it. Sure. Well, people should join him. I think we, we would also. Well, well, I mean, he can step out there and be a leader too. He's had no problem throughout his career being a leader. Well, people, he should be a leader on that and just say, yeah, and most people agree with me whether they say it or not. The issue is they're not going to do it because the NFL is going to find them. Right. That's why he's upset that someone put that out there because Probably. that's no different yeah. now than answering something at a podium about officiating, which they're going to find to do because the NFL wants to tell you that the penalties are down 51% on roughing the passer, even though those weren't roughing the passer calls over the last two weeks. Yeah. Which is not, that's just missing the point and asking us just to regurgitate the BS that they put out there in their statements. And again, then it boils down all to what you said to, uh, in a large way, and I wrote a little bit about this in a column last week, boils down all to what you were saying to Tyler Dunn last segment. In a large way, the powers that be over those coaches, the owners, they'll take the flack for those calls if they think it's helping make sure we don't see the Mike Glennons of the world on the field, if they think it's somehow ensuring yeah. that the Tom Brady's and uh, whoever the other quarterback was are going to be out there, they'll say, bash us all you want for being over-officious on, on uh, roughing the passer. If it's going to help us make sure that the league's starting quarterbacks are out there, you guys are, are having a segment talking about the offense isn't good with those guys. So if we put their backups out there, it's going to be even worse. Go ahead and crush us for pass, roughing the passer. And in some cases, the backup quarterbacks are playing better. Like Bailey Zappi. Yeah. Uh, who's hurt uh, legitimately uh, and not from a terrible flag where the quarterback dusted himself off from a grass stain? Uh, we will uh, tell you that, how it affects your fantasy football league and favorite team. That's next to Now Kick 360. You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with the fall guy. What are you doing later? Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes. Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall Guy. Fall Guy. Fall Guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make out? Nope. Because I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. Oh, Kick 360 rolls on. Coming up more of... Our discussion with Tennessee beating Bama and the SEC recap from the weekend, as well as some strong games across the Power Five. It's all straight ahead in the final hour of the show. Hollywood Brown, a wide receiver for the Cardinals, good news there when it was not expected to be good news because he had a significant foot injury that they thought was going to force him to have surgery and miss the season. Turns out his foot is fractured. And I'm not sure of the details with it. Fractured, but he's not going to need surgery and he can return at some point. Hopkins is back now for the Cardinals. And they uh, trade today for Robbie Anderson, who was asked to leave 
the uh, sideline for the Panthers yesterday in L.A. He was quite disgruntled. I didn't see any of it. How bad was it? Well, like, so he's been disgruntled for a while. Even whenever they traded for Baker, remember he, he had made the comments about Baker Mayfield at the time and Sam Darnold. I think uh, was it Peter King who really documented how Matt Rule went out of his way for this guy, all the way <laughs> dating back to Temple, and they, then when he was fired, Robbie Anderson basically had nothing to say good good about, him. and the guy basically made his career. I mean, he took him from the Jets and gave him. You know, yeah. 10, $10 million, $20 million for two years in Carolina. They, um, he was just sitting away from the, uh, from the bench. You know, it wasn't, it wasn't Antonio Brown, but it, lo- it kind of looked like it because um, he turned around and said something after uh, he was told to just, you know, go to the locker room. It's, uh, you know, guy thinks he's better than he is. That, that's a problem. But I he's also active for the like game. Yeah. You know, it's a, it's a weird dynamic. It's a problem, and it just it's, – it's never – there's no instance where the player is ever right when you decide to separate from your team. You're right about that. Especially as a professional. Yeah, take care of business. I, mean, after, I would say, go have I would a say that after. about a high school kid that decides to walk away from the team on the sideline and, and you know have a huge... You're going to have moments where you're yelling at a teammate or whatever happens, but you can't take your ball and go away from the team and make a show of yourself while the game is going on. You're just never going to be in the right. No matter how upset you are, or how passionately you think you are correct. You're not. Get it together. And Robbie Anderson's not right. Eagles offensive tackle Lane Johnson suffered a concussion last night on Sunday Night Football. And Kenny Pickett did as well. And then Mitchell Trubisky came off the bench and helped the Steelers beat the Bucks. One of several upsets. That was the biggest upset, by the way, of the season. Right after I took him out. Nine and a half point underdog. And they win at home over Tampa. Tennessee wins at Neyland over Bama. We recap that game next.